Good morning to each of you, and Rosalie, we will be praying for you throughout this week, and appreciate Dave's reminder just to to pray for each other. I pray for Rosalie, but just uh, there's a lot of people going through things, and, and let's uh, lift each other up and ask God's protection and blessing um, on the church and on, on each of us here. So as a pastor, I admit this week, knowing that some of the hard things that people are going through, I kind of struggled with where I feel led to go um, in my sermon. And I don't, that's something that happens from time to time where it just, you know, and multiple times yesterday, like, Lord, you know, is that, is this really truly now? Um, and so I still, I want to just say up front, I still feel a little bit of that, but I still feel led to talk about this. So I hope it's okay. In the context of things, I've just been thinking a lot about work. And yes, it's a coincidence that this is Labor Day weekend. I didn't prepare this because of Labor Day. But just thinking about how much of our life is invested in work and wanting us to see it from a godly perspective and what God can do through our work. Um, but I admit, today is going to be more on the negative side of things, um, looking at the curse and why is work so hard and some of the problems that come in. And so you know, maybe it fits together that what we're seeing and experiencing is a result of the fall. Um, sin affected everything. Health isn't what it should be. And in Christ, there is hope, and we are freed from sin, but yet the world isn't all as it ought to be yet. Um, so hopefully we can, can have uh, hope in that, and, and you can hear that coming through as we go through and talk about work. Um, I do want to ask you at the start just to think a little bit, what is, what's a job or what is work that you love doing and what is work that you just do not enjoy? I mean, you do it, but it is just, it is drudgery. Um, ironically for me, prior to being married, cleaning and organizing a room, I, that was the bottom of my list. It could take me hours. And God in his wisdom connected me to a wife who, fun is seeing a disorderly room, and let's put this together. Um, so anyway, I'm thankful that Nicole, for Nicole, that's fun. For me, it wasn't. Um, in my job, I love working on new things and new projects, and we could do this, we could do that. But if I have to sit down with a spreadsheet for half a day and do analysis, I'm going to find many reasons to go get coffee, to walk around the building, to like, oh, I, I can do this, but it just, it's, it's a drudgery. So I've, I went first. Anybody want to share something that, man, that's just fun, or I'd be okay if I never had to do that again. It can be big, little. Anybody want to share a task that is that way to you? Potty training. You can't even get out of it, can you? You've got to get through that. <laughs> All right. That's a great example. Laundry. Is that a, a, a fun or a drudgery? It's a drudgery. Yeah. And what's that? No desk work. I, I thought of you, Alvin. <laughs> That's right. Alvin does not like to sit down and do desk work. Anybody else? Okay, teaching versus cleaning the bathroom. And you know, some people, if they had to teach, that would be the most stressful part of their week or, or year, probably. Anybody else one you want to share? All right, well, thank you, Mary. Studying 
Okay, so study and research is fun, but a surprising Mary with the problem does not, that's, that's gonna be a stressor. I think it's fun just to see how God has wired us differently. And, and in our work, we're called to do things we enjoy and things that are just hard, that don't come natural for us. And some of it is the way we're wired, and some of it is a result of the fall and, and sin and all of that. So I want to just do a little bit of quick review um, before we get into today's, today's topic. So um, today is called Work Guarding a Right Perspective. And where we were the last time I preached was four main truths in asking the question, does our work matter? Number one, God is at work. So God created, we can see all around his creativity, his power, his wisdom, but God is still at work. He is always working. He's holding creation together. He's at work in every heart. Number two, God created mankind to work. It's very important that we remember that work is actually a gift. It is not the curse. So how our work is um, was changed, but work is a gift. It is not the curse. Uh, work is one of the primary ways we love God and serve others. So God has, has said there's two commandments, to love him with all our heart and to love others as ourselves. Often our work is one of the primary ways that we, we serve other people. And then my work is a stewardship. And some of this was coming out of 1 Corinthians 7, where, where God is describing how people were called. And it's the idea of your vocation being a calling, your situation is a calling. We looked at Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, where even if we were, were in a position of slavery, God says that work is actually work for him. And we can do his will, even if it is a situation that we would never, never choose. So hopefully this was positive in casting a vision for what work is intended to be. And now we've just talked about that work isn't always enjoyable. And so today we're going to talk more about that, um, some of the, the problems that we run into. So we know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were there. Uh, they were given a job to do, to work with God and taking care of the garden and all these things. And they sinned and they fell. And sin and the curse impact everything. And we're, we're talking about that today. Two of the primary areas that I want us to think about is one, the area of relationships. How much sin has just come in and changed relationships. Relationships aren't easy. They're wonderful, but not easy. But then how much sin uh, today, we're really looking at how much sin has changed, uh, changed work. So we're going to pick this up in Genesis 3. And I do want to say at the outset, I don't have a lot of scripture today. Hopefully it is very scriptural based, um, but it is more conceptual rather than textual. And I hope you hear it as that. And, um, and I would welcome feedback on it. It's based out of a lot of different texts, but it's not driven by any one text. So uh, just so that we are clear on what we're talking about, we're talking about the curse or the result of sin. So the serpent is cursed, and in this curse, there is a hint at the promise of redemption. And, and that's wonderful. Now we're going to pick up with what the woman is told. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your, multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Uh, other translations would say your desire shall be for your husband. So what's happening here? The word is just that childbirth is going to be painful. And it's where we get the idea of labor and thought of, of a birth happening um, just this week. That work, a childbirth is worrisome, labor, and painful. 
and after the fall, that is the way it's described. So um, one of the primary purposes that we see when Eve was created was relationships, and we see that that's even changed. The word here for, for the desire to be contrary, it's that, that there's going to be a desire to, to take over or to control. And the way that we know that is in Genesis 4, when Cain, when his offering wasn't accepted, God comes to Cain and says that sin is at your door and its desire is for you. It's the same word. It's about the only place it's used in the Bible. And it means that sin is going to try to control you. Um, so that is what happened on, on the relational side of things. And we could, again, we could talk all morning, but we won't. We're going to focus on the work side of it. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the ground is cursed, and again, this word for pain, it's the exact same word that was used to describe childbirth. Work is going to be laborious, worrisome, full of toil. Um, and the, the big change is that thorns and thistles are going to be coming up alongside of the plants that we're trying to, to grow. And when we're trying to, to extract resources that we need, there's going to be things trying to choke that out and trying to take it over. And then he says, by, this is all going to happen by the sweat of your face. You're going to eat bread till you return to the ground. And then here's where, where death is talked about, um, dust to dust. And there is a futility that comes along with this um, in work sometimes. So let's just think about this a little bit. God actually, he created man and woman, and he made a garden. And it had, it says it had all the, any tree, anything they needed for food. And he put them in it. And he said, here's one tree you don't eat. And so we all know the story. They ate out of it. So now the curse is that they're going to have to leave the garden, and you're going to have to work the ground to get the things that you need to eat. Um, so God had provided it, but sends them out and says, you're going to need to work. This is going to be hard. Um, and you are sent out to grow your own food. So thorns and thistles, for those of us growing crops, we can relate to that. But I would like you to think about your work that you do. Again, this could be a job, but it doesn't need to be a job. Any, any of the work you do. What are the thorns and thistles that just make your work difficult or hard? Are there thorns and thistles the equivalent of that in what you do? And I'll just name a few. There's all kinds of them. There's the relational aspect of work. Um, you know what? I work with people, and I'm a sinner. So I'm going to cause problems. Everybody that I work with is a sinner. And if you serve people, guess what? You serve fallen people who might, uh, might be sinning. So the relational aspect is tough. Maybe there's the physical demanding side of it um, that, that is a thorn and thistle for your work. And even, isn't it interesting that now there's lots of us who have office jobs, and it's not that we are sore and tired and our muscles are worn out, but now you start dealing with things like stress and burnout and sitting so much that you lose your health. There's always, there's always problems with work. Any, any field we talk about, there's problems. Uh, maybe there's a difficult problem that you solve again and again and again. Um, anybody want to share a thorn and thistle 
in the work that, that you do that you see as a result of, of this. And again, I don't want this to be overly negative, but just to be aware of the impact of sin in the world in which we live. Anything come to mind? Maybe I'm not clear on the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is the monotony side of work where it's very repetitive. You do it again and again and again. Yeah. I'll give a little example here while, while you're thinking. Um, I'm about to show you my lush green oasis of a backyard. And Nicole actually doesn't want me to share this picture. I can tell by her face. So here's the story. We have a little backyard. We've lived there for, for 19 years, and I've had this ongoing little battle kind of, I was going to say love-hate, but it's almost just more hate relationship with my backyard. The grass just isn't good, and so like I would try to cut halfways fix it, and it would kind of get good and then not, and just on and on. And so this year, so I am tired of dealing with my backyard. So we went out and we bought sod. And we had a nice green backyard. I, I loved to look at it. I would go walk around in it. And here's a picture from yesterday of my nice green sod that I bought. So I'm working in an arena I really don't know much about, but we've, we've got this nice sod and it's surviving, I don't know what, two months or so. I've been watering this stuff and I thought we were good. We left for Ohio to help Nicole's mom and dad move about the time it got hot. And this is what happens, turns out, if you don't uh, water new sod consistently, even if it's been laid for about two months. Um, so uh, anyway, if anybody wants some fun to help me out, uh, I'm taking any help I can get in the backyard to know how to do this. But anyway, it's just an example of this is how work is. We can, you do it, and then something goes wrong. Um, and there's a, can feel like there's a futility to it. Another example of this is here are the, the 10 largest U.S. companies in 2012. So just, just read this list. These are the largest companies 10 years ago. Any guesses how many are still in the top 10? What percentage? Dennis says 2 or 20 percent. Do you all agree with him? Yeah, he's very close. Uh, there are three that survived, so seven new and uh, the three that, I highlighted the three that were there. And again, not, not, it doesn't mean anything you know, bad, but just we have to realize that our work at times can feel futile. It, uh, things change. So there is a frustration uh, that comes with work. I do want to, so at this point I want to shift gears and read an Old Testament story. And then after the story, I'd like you to consider um, four areas of where Satan may tempt us to do something similar to what they did in the story, even though we can't relate to exactly what happened in the story. So I'd like us to look at, at Genesis 11. And this is the story of the Tower of, of Babel. And well, let's, let's read the story together. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So this is after the flood. They're, they're migrating. They're they're moving out to fill the earth as God commanded them to do. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks 
and burned them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they're moving along, and for whatever reason, they didn't want to do what God had asked them to do, of spreading out and filling the earth. I don't know if that felt like too much work. If, I don't know what all motivated them. So they said, let's build a city and a tower, and they wanted to use their work to make a name for themselves. So they wanted, this, this work was about them, and they wanted to make sure that they weren't dispersed. So it, the story continues in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the people of, which the children of man had built. I love how it, the text says they were going to build up to heaven, and it is very clear that God actually has to come down to see what's going on. I think, that's, I think that's very intentional. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may under, not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So it's just an amazing story, and, and the origin of the nearly 7,000 languages in the world today come back to this and God's tremendous creativity in, in, just, in dispersing uh, the people at that time. So here you have a group of people. They had a new technology. They had figured out how to do bricks instead of stones. So it allowed them to do things they had never done. So this could have been used for good or bad. And in this case, they decided we're going we're gonna to put this all together and we're going to try to do our own thing. And so today... People work in all kinds of fields, and technology is created that can be good or bad. Uh, but in this case, they were definitely bad with their intent. So I'd like us to think about four things that, that Satan may tempt us to do in our work that is similar to building our own tower. So again, I know that this seems like kind of a, a far-out example, but here are four problems or temptations that Satan will bring us that is kind of similar to building our own tower rather than using our work uh, to worship the Lord and, and to serve other people. So the first thing I want to mention is just identity, finding my worth in what I do. So Satan will bring us this temptation to find our identity and find our worth in what we do. So again, just think about the roles that you are called to fill. And this could be your job, but it, it might be something like a, being the parent of a teenager or serving on a committee or a career. Any, anything that we do that we find satisfying, there is, there is a pool in our heart to, to find our value in that rather than finding our value in Christ and just serving out of that. So there's the role. It might be an achievement that we have. You know, I am the, you fill in the blank. Or maybe it's a performance thing. And one thing I'll just say is that Satan loves to take either success or failure and try to have that become our identity. So don't just think, oh, you know, it's something that I'm good at. Um, maybe it's expectations of others in work that, 
that cause us to place our identity there. So this is when we, when we find our value in what we do, and when that happens, then our life starts revolving around or being oriented around our work, rather than being revolving around Christ, his family, and service and work flowing out of that. So am I, fi um, am I finding identity in Christ, or am I finding identity in something that's never meant to be identity, that's temporary, that can be taken away? One painful question to ask yourself is, would I be okay if I was no longer doing and fill in the blanks? And that's very hard, and maybe that's a harder thing for men than ladies, I don't know. I think we're probably a little more wired to find our identity in work, but would I be okay if I was not doing you fill in the blank? One of the things about the Lord is if we are finding our identity in work, over time, he and his kindness will reveal that. And it's not always that he'll take the thing from us, but he will reveal the idols in our heart because that's his rightful place. And so thankfully in, in time, God does reveal when I'm placing my identity in work. One scripture related to this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I love these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But does work matter, what we do? Yes, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we think about our work, the work of being right with God is done, and we, anything we do comes out of being accepted in Christ and our identity is in Christ. And the concept of, of uh, the work being prepared beforehand, it's, it's, it really is like God has went ahead of us and prepared things that we should do. Um, I don't know, I think of, of helping, you know, maybe you're helping a small child clean or something, and they feel like they're really doing something for you. But in reality, as the parent, you have set everything up. You're going ahead of them. You're probably coming after them and, and actually doing the cleanup. And this is the picture. God, when God works through us, it's, it's all him. And it takes him to, to do that for us. So that was the first one. Uh, here's the second one, tower we may be tempted to build. And that is the, uh, the tower of value, putting the wrong value on what I do. And I, I know I'm, I'm going to talk about four, and they're all kind of, uh, kind of related here. But putting the wrong value on what I do. What is it that determines the value of your work? And maybe you feel like it's really valuable, or maybe you feel like it's not valuable at all. But what, in your mind, what makes work valuable? Is it, how often do we go back to the paycheck or the value that others put on it? Or maybe the, the prestige of it, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's meeting a need. One thing I don't want to just share is that there is a tendency when we evaluate our own work to either overvalue it or undervalue it. And God tells us in Philippians 2 that we are to think soberly or rightly about ourselves. Don't overvalue it, but don't undervalue it. Um, putting the right value on our work. So one thing I'll just mention here is that sometimes we can put um, the wrong value on work based on the type of it. And I'll, I'll give a story and a little bit of an example here. So 
I was traveling in California. This goes back a long, I mean, probably, it was a long time ago. I was attending a church there. It wasn't an Anabaptist church. And the pastor was, was trying to get people to get the vision to dream big for God. And he was, I mean, he was fired up about this. He was just pouring himself into this. But where he kept going is he said, I don't want you just to be content to be a mechanic. I think you've got to dream big. You should be doing this. And he was saying this multiple times. And I'll never forget, there was an older gentleman in the back. During the sermon, he raised his hand and he said, you know what, Pastor? I hear what you're saying, but I am a mechanic and I feel very called to be a mechanic. And I am a mechanic out of obedience to the Lord and out of worship to the Lord. And I never forgot that, that there's a tendency sometimes to look around and maybe undervalue work. But all work is valuable if we're doing what God calls us to do. And I'm so thankful that guys like Walter are great at being a mechanic. Walter is very good at what he does. And if I had to do Walter's job, the shop would be out of business in, in very short order because there, there would be no cars getting fixed. So when we think about work, let's be very careful that we don't put the wrong value on it because of, of our way of thinking. I'll, and I'll, I'll be transparent here. So I work in sales. Do salespeople tend to have a good or bad Anyway, you can argue whether it's earned. So Rod Martin, who um, a friend of mine that just, I had mentioned him a couple weeks ago, that just passed away in the, in the plane accident, when we gathered and we were talking about how do we teach people how to be a salesman to the glory of God, he, he was very passionate and very fired up, and he told the story. He's like, look, I used to go to a family reunion, and one of the people I met there said, hey, Rod, are you still selling stuff to people that they don't need? And he's like, no, I am not. I'm helping people fix their water. I'm helping them solve a problem. Anyway, he just got so fired up. He's like, our first job is we have to destroy the lie that sales is self-serving. And so I'm just saying, again, let's just be aware of prejudice or value that we put on work that's different um, than ours to, to put value on, on all of work if God has called us to do it. Another trap that I fall into when I think about the value of work is measuring the value of work by the amount of work, thinking that, well, if a little bit of work is good, then maximum productivity must be even better. And there's, there's truth in being a good steward, but we cannot measure ourselves by the amount of work um, that God calls us to do. Part of the reason I say that is just think about work and rest. God made us so that we sleep a third of our lives. One day out of every week, he says, don't, don't do any work. And I think it's just a reminder that he, work is a gift, but God doesn't, God doesn't need us. He works through us, um, and so we are to, to rest. Um, another, another way of thinking about this is just the parable of the talents. God gave differing amounts, and they were called to develop what they were given. And so we cannot measure ourselves uh, by, by the amount of work that we do. Okay, the third one is just the motivation. And we're tempted to build the tower of being motivated primarily by what work gives me. And we could, could talk about this for a while. We can, we can do work, even if it's serving work, uh, with selfish motives. And um, Jesus tells us that 
I mean, yes, we have to work to meet needs, but he does say that we are to guard against all forms of greed. So we work um, to receive a paycheck if it's if we're talking about our you know our day job, but we're not to be motivated out of greed and and only what um, what we can gain out of it. So for myself, I have to guard against selfishness in the work that I do, thinking about well, how does this impact me? How do I handle situations? And you know, isn't it interesting if somebody is is working but their heart isn't really in it, we can see it pretty fast if they're just there for selfish reasons. Uh, one little example I thought of here, the boys and I <clears throat> were traveling fairly early and we stopped at a, a Tim Hortons for breakfast. And it was very clear to, to everybody in that restaurant that the man serving us there was only there to get a paycheck and not really that much about serving us. I mean, there was he couldn't remember what we had ordered. There was just one thing after the other after the other, and really no attempt to take care of us. It was like, I'm here to do the bare minimum, and, and that was it. So unfortunately, selfishness in work is easier to spot in others than it is um, in ourselves. Another place to guard against uh, being motivated by what work can give us is if, if we find ourselves um, becoming a workaholic where work is all we want to do. And, and in many ways, that can actually become an escape that is more about what I get than what I can give. In that, we have to guard that we don't leave relational work behind when we pursue, uh, pursue physical work. Thinking about just culture and, and what, what does culture think about work? Um, and I'll describe something here, it's from the book Work Matters. But outside of Christ, here is the list of how, how culture approaches work. Number one, ultimate purpose of work is to fulfill yourself. So the point of work is to fulfill yourself. Number two, success in life means success at work or in career. Number three, measure success by material or position, or position or possessions. And number four, do whatever it takes to have that be fulfilled. So without Christ, what happens is without Christ, people will look to work to give them things that work is never intended to give. And even for us, we have to guard our, our motivation um, for working. So one thing that happens, I've mentioned that we work, we work because at least at a job level, it, it's a one way of making a living. I, wanted, I do want to read Matthew 6, a few verses out of that, and just talk about how this is different for, for us as Christ followers. So Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So food and clothing are very basic needs. That's, that's right that we need that. Everybody needs that. What I find interesting here is that the Gentiles seek after all these things. That they, they know they need them, so that becomes their pursuit. And even you know, look around in U.S. culture, 
as you gain wealth, you have a lot of options on what you eat and what you wear. So you quickly move beyond meeting needs into, I mean, you know, we could talk about, you know, take any category of life. You can get the basics all the way up to extravagant. And there's a lot of pursuit of those things, of, of looking at it that the job gives me the right to enjoy these things. But as believers, we're not actually looking to our work to meet our needs. We're looking to the Lord to meet our needs. So God does choose to meet our needs often through work, but underneath it all, it is God that's meeting our needs and not our work. Um, so it, it comes down to what we're seeking. The Gentiles are seeking the gift. We are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that he can add the things that we need, uh, that we need to us. And that speaks to the fourth of security, seeing work as supplying my needs rather than God supplying my needs. So as we, again, just want to encourage us, as we do our work, let's see that it is God meeting needs in us and in other people. Um, it's not our job bringing those things or us doing those things. When we only see, oh, we go to work because we have to make money, it introduces a whole level of drudgery there. And I'll, I will often think about this um, I'll attend trade shows sometimes, and you'll be walking around, and you'll be like, hey, how's the day going? And you get these answers where you just know that people are just kind of cynical. They'll be like, oh, another day in paradise, or living the dream, baby. And you know they're not, that's coming out of looking to work to fulfill you, and work's not going to do that. The Lord can and can make your work fulfilling, but work will not uh, fulfill us. It will not bring um, security there. So in all of this, God desires faithfulness in our work, whether we see it as big or little and whether we're paid for it or not. God is desiring faithfulness and that we trust him. And and just thinking about these things, and so I talked a lot about work and why it's hard, and, and these are temptations where we're tempted to build build our own towers and to misuse work, and that's kind of negative. But the hope that I have is, what difference does Christ make in all of this? How do Christians work? And as Christians, if our identity is in Christ and who he is and his love for us, then we are free to courageously work, because it's not about us. We don't have anything to prove. We're we're free to work out of Christ's love for us, and so Christ has spoken to our identity. When it comes to the value of our work, we can believe and know that we are doing work that the Creator called us to do. And there's tremendous value in that, regardless of whether other people see it as that or not. When it comes to our motivation, uh, we are working to love and to serve other people. And so work, that frees us from making work selfish and about ourselves. And the last one, our security, we're seeing that God is actually meeting our needs. And so we don't have to try to hang on so tight to work and make it meet all of our needs. Um, So I'm really thankful for Christ, the gospel, and how, as believers, he completely changes uh, the way we work and the way we approach this. Thank you for uh, your attention and for listening today. Um, And again, my hope and my prayer is we're going to leave here and spend probably the next six days working. 
And hopefully we can do that seeing it as a gift from the Lord and His power and allow the Lord to speak uh, where we're putting identity or value or motivation or security anywhere other than, than in Him as we go about, about our work. So I invite you to stand uh, to close in prayer and thank God for the food downstairs as well. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for loving us. Uh, God, thank you for the finished work on the cross. Thanks for your ongoing work in our hearts. Thanks for freeing us from sin, the consequences, the, the punishment of sin. Um, God, we want to use any work, any opportunities that you bring us to work in your strength, to steward the talents you've given us, um, to invest for your kingdom. And God, I just pray for my heart and any of us here, if they are if any of the four areas or attitudes or, or things that uh, we need to repent of or change or allow you to work in us, that we would do that. Um, we want to do that for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that you would take the words that I've shared and the words that are from you, would they find good soil? And if there's anything not from you in your kindness, would you blow it away? God, thanks uh, for the food that's downstairs. It is a gift from you. I um, pray that you would just bless our time Uh, fellowshipping together, and our week ahead. We love you and we need you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.